everyone. I decided that it would be in the best interest if I um, share a couple more things about the organized crime ward I was in. And then whatever I share next is whatever I'll share next, to be honest with you. So the first thing I want to share about organized crime was there were times where I could be on one side of the street on a sidewalk and I would see women on the other side of the street on the opposing sidewalk. And I would um, notice suspicious guys trying to run up on them creepily or walk up to them creepily. And I would yell across the street not in a misogynistic way, but in a compassionate, I'm yelling so those guys know that they're about to get dealt with bloodily by me. So I would, I wouldn't call women by their attire. I would say ma'am with the red dress or ma'am with the blue pants, or ma'am with the fur coat. And they would look my way and I'd point to those guys while, yell- while yelling these things to them. I would then say, these guys are trying to violate you. So the way I yelled, it wasn't a startling way. They looked as if, they, they, the way they looked at me, it was a spellbinding kind of way. I wasn't trying to control women at all, but it was a spellbinding from a I'm not used to all this care and concern. So that's the way they looked at me. And when I pointed and yelled, not too loud, but not not in a disgruntled way, but in a warning, a compassionate warning way. So the guys weren't able to do what they were planning to do to women because I literally caught them out. They saw me, looked at me while I'm talking, looking at the women, then I point, look at those guys, so I look at the women, you know, one eye of the women, the other eye on the guys, and then that's when I told them that they're about to be violated. So the guys would try to either run or walk away, but I was able to run across the street without getting hit, even though it was incoming cars and they were driving at the normal speed I had enough speed to run across the other side of the street where there's where the sidewalk was the same sidewalk that the one we're walking on now I'm on that sidewalk 
and the guys were not able to uh, outrun me or outwalk me and I was able to get them at the nick nick N-I-C-K nick of time and I gave them a vicious bloody pulped beat down now when I would fight I wasn't trying to draw blood but usually that's what happened because I was that I, I was filled with righteous indignation because those guys were trying to rape those women and physically abuse those women and the women actually watched me physically destroy these guys I didn't kill them I did not but they required lengthy stays in the hospital, which happened to them. And after that, the women pressed charges against these guys because they didn't know what to do at first. And I was like, I want you to get your justice. There's nothing wrong with getting your justice. You're not a bad woman. Y'all not bad women. It's okay to get your justice and still be a woman. And still be women. Because at first they're leaning against the, I don't want to cause trouble. I'm like, these guys need to be punished. They can't get away with what they did to y'all. And I remember saying, it's, it's wrong for this to be swept under the rug. Because that means that they'll keep doing this to y'all and other women if nothing about their evil is stopped. And they were so appreciative of what I said because they said, you know what? We thank you for sharing this so well with us because we were told to, you know, if a man does whatever he wants to do, you got to let it happen and you can't deal with it. You know what? Thank you for helping us to be tired of not being able to deal with it. So the women were emboldened by what I said, so they pressed charges against the guy, the guys, and those guys went to jail for what they tried to do to the women. And they also were caught doing previous things to other women. So there's, I think they're still in jail today because they did a lot of crimes. And I was able to urge the women to say, it's okay to protect yourselves, but you shouldn't have to protect yourselves by yourself, by yourselves. And I said um, to them, protect other women too. And I'm helping y'all to protect yourselves. I'm helping you to protect other women. And I remember telling them, this is also helping me to be protected as well. Everybody should be protected in this scenario. And I said, this pattern of disrespecting ladies has to end. And so that guys, those guys are still locked up. How did I, how did I not get charged for what happened? Well, other people claim to have done the 
bloody pulp thing, even though it was me, because they didn't want to. They didn't want me to get locked up for or be legally punished for looking out for women. I was about five when that happened. And they said, "Why well, put the good the good boy in jail?" So the other people say, "Yeah, we did that, but we were trying to protect the women." And the law was very lenient towards the people. They had to serve a little bit of time, like a couple of months, but they got out because they were good behavior. Plus, the legal system, like, well, should we really keep them, keep them for even six months? Because, I mean, these people are not normally violent, but, you know, they, they were just trying to protect a woman, so... There eventually it was a it was gonna be like a misdemeanor slap on the wrist. Okay, we, okay, we got to give you a year, but two months later they were back out. I remember, you know, and those same people and I yeah and I used to hang out all the time, you know, socialize and things like that. So the law just was like they just didn't want them in jail for even a year or even six months because they felt also, but. They were just trying to protect women from getting assaulted. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna keep good people in jail, so they were let out. And and so that was that was a situation. I remember there were times where I had to yell across the street to women to let them know that what was about to happen was going to happen. And so I remember times where I had to pursue guys, the the ones tr- the ones trying to be assailants and actual assailants because there were times where I'm, I was on the sidewalk and I would see women get abused sexually, physically, and all types of abuse, even emotional abuse. And I gave... I would give those guys bloody pulp beatdowns and usually they went to jail and usually people didn't say it was me. You know, people saw me do it, they would say it was actually me. Because also, like I said in previous episodes, but it's still true, protecting women was not normal in public. Not even in private, so... The law enforcement started understanding that because people say, well, it's normal for bad things to happen to women. People do nothing about it. But I, when I started roaming the streets, I run the streets primarily to protect women because I say, you know what? Women are used to experiencing public misogyny, private misogyny. So I changed the culture. So protecting women became normal. Once people saw me do it, they would see me disguising my voice, calling um, 911. Because sometimes there were women around me too scared to press charges. They were like, can you press the charges for me? Can you call 911 for me? I'm too scared. And so I would put, put, put the, you know, use their phone and I would say, and I would, talk as if I were them in distress 
And so I was still able to help. I was still able to be their voice and help be their voice in that situation. And um, there were times where and even every woman that I ever protected would hang out with me all the time and socialize with me all the time, too. Um, now... This was towards near the end of my time of organized crime. This was kind of towards the end. In the beginning, I would protect women, but as my time of organized crime was coming to an end, I noticed the misogyny kept getting worse. You know, from time to time, I protect women, but I didn't have to protect them as much because there wasn't as much misogyny but it would increase as my time organized crime was waning. Um, And to my knowledge, there were other criminals who told me one of the reasons why he was pushed out of the crime world was because, you know, the women that you protected And, you know, they were violated or dudes were actually trying to violate them. And I said, yeah, they were um, part of the anonymous tips team in terms of reporting what criminals had you in against your will in terms of, um, you know, the drug world and, you know, the numbers run world and, um, you know, that, you know, the um, sex traffic world and things like that. So they were, somehow they found out and the women told me that um, they overheard um, a couple of women, street women. They weren't criminals, but they were affiliated with criminals without being criminals. They they overheard that um, street women talking about um, those things happening to me, and the reason why they brought up the conversation was because they figured out that every you know the people in organized crime world kept getting caught, and they're trying to figure out how do we get Antonio out. It's like they were the first people to talk about me getting out of these worlds. And so the women I was hanging out with, I remember um, that they did anonymous tips to law enforcement. They didn't say my name, they, but they did say what happened to me. They say somebody I I um I got acquainted with and those women um
played a role in me leaving organized crime. What I also remember is that I had the wherewithal to reassure women that um, when I was in the organized crime world that nothing bad would happen to the men in their lives. And I told the women, you already know this, but nothing bad will ever happen to you because they there were street women who heard of well Antonio can you know can order crimes to happen and get paid for them or actually do them for or as people do them for him for free or you know the way it was set up you know the the um the criminal said, um, we already make a shit ton of cash. That's the exact words to me, they said. So, we'll pay you for whatever hit you want to order. Or... They said that because they also knew that ordering violence, ordering murders, ordering theft crimes, ordering financial crimes, they, they, they knew that criminals wanted to pay me to order them to do those things because in the criminal's mind, like the other criminal, they said, we... already make enough from the dirt we're doing. But because they really, really quote-unquote liked me, they said, we pay you instead of you paying us in terms of like, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, they call it contract killing. And they they also knew that I could order, order any crime and get paid for it, order any crime for free. And I never ordered any crimes. I never ordered any sex crimes, never ordered any violent crimes, never ordered any uh, murderous crimes, never ordered any theft crimes, never ordered any financial crimes, never ordered any crimes to happen to anybody ever. I never got paid to be a hitman I never paid anybody to be a hitman and I just I just don't order things to happen to everyone I was never a crime boss never happened never will be Plus, my heart is too soft to tolerate that 
to tolerate criminality of any and all kinds. I feel like, um... Eventually, the street, eventually, the people that I reassured when nothing happened to them because I never ordered anything to happen to them, they also played a role in the anonymous reporting. So, because law enforcement was so ever present, I remember, um, this is a new memory. New flashback. I didn't. It's towards the end. I wasn't able to sell drugs or run numbers or anything because the cops were so ever present. So I remember it's about two, three weeks left in that month. So. I know the misery. I know the memories can be contradictory and fuzzy because organized crime is contradictory. So you have an overlapping of experiences that don't make sense to each other, right? So I'm doing my best to make it as orderly and sequential as I can be, but with trauma, it's not easy at all. I just remember, like, at least two, three weeks. I just couldn't do any crimes because there's so many police and plus police were making sure that adults were with kids so I couldn't really go outside and just walk around like I used to do. So, for two, three weeks, I was at my mom's apartment. I used to have keys to women's homes. And all the keys I ever told you in each episode, I would hide them in a special bag. And I never had the keys out and open for all to see. And I never had the special bag in my mother's apartment. I never did that. So, it was a lot of factors, a lot of fucking factors of how I was able to leave organized crime. I do remember at times having to tell women that they are not sex objects 
that they're not pieces of rubbish that's tossed to the ground because they believe those things due to them being taught those things by male pigs and even relatives that other women told them those things in their families. And the men in their families would tell them to go about life in those ways. And I remember telling them that what you were told was wrong. And at first they were shocked. I'm like, every lesson that is taught is not good. Some lessons are bad. And I said, none of those things are true about you. And you may have to live a a a decent life without those people and they started cutting off those people fully right away because they were like wow i you're right you know that's not i'm not shouldn't be used to being treated in those ways so they were they decided to leave that work that that um to leave all those people behind and um, they were just thanking me, hugging me, and crying tears of joy. And I cried tears of joy with them. Once they, you know, I would meet up with them and from time to time, and they would tell me, you know, the progress and how they were getting help and life was, you know, getting better for them, all the blessings and signs and wonders and miracles that was happening for them. They were so overjoyed and highly thrilled about those things. Um, it was, it reminds me of when I was in the organized crime world. I remember sometimes I didn't cross the street to women because I didn't want them to fall, or they're about to fall into a ditch or fall into a crater, like a little, like a hole, or they're about to fall because of you know it got rocky or bumpy on the ground and. I would sometimes, a woman was about to fall and I was already on the other side of the sidewalk because I could see it happening. So I would rush from the sidewalk. I was to one side of the street. I would be on the other side of the street on the sidewalk and I would sometimes catch them in my arms or they would sometimes fall on me. Um, They're falling on me, prevented them from falling on a dent or a dent falling on dented like a dent or a or um or falling in a ditch you know and um falling in the potholes you know because sometimes that was gonna happen or I just did not want them to fall at all. And so when they would fall on me, you know, at first they would apologize. I'm like, it's okay. You know, that's what a good guy is, good guy is there for. Um... And I would make sure to protect them from falling into 
the drainage under uh, sidewalks I didn't want them to fall into sewer sidewalks, you know, or sewage drains, or the drainage of sewage on the sidewalks. I was like, nah. I didn't want that to happen to them. Um, and they were just happily hugging me, sometimes feeding me as a way of saying thank you when we would meet up more than once. And sometimes the women I would yell across the street to each other, not in a bad way, but in a, hey, hey, and they would cross the street or I would cross the street or we would cross the street, meet halfway. Then if we were like, okay, let's go to my side of the street, the sidewalk or let me go to your side of the sidewalk and we would just hang out eat and do that often you know often but not in a overly loud being mean way it was a oh hey like the best of friends so that was pretty much the rest of the stories I have for you about that world um I'm so thankful I don't have to share any more organized crime stories because they've all been shared, all been told. Uh, I can officially breathe when it comes to that part of my life. Woo! And I'm so glad that I never lost sight of my grandma during that time or any other time. I'm so thankful to have been a militant gentleman and be militant in my chivalry too. And I was a militant phylogenist. I was militant phylogeny. I'm grateful that I never had a hard heart and I never became a monster. I'm too good of a person to ever be in those ways anyway. And I can honestly say I was never an intentional misogynist. Never have been and never will be. And I can honestly say that um, I enjoy teaching men how to be gentlemen in terms of every which way to practice chivalry and gentlemanliness publicly and openly to women. That wasn't normal, but when they started seeing me do that, it became normal. And there were some guys who were like, at first... I assumed that all guys were taught how to be chivalrous gentlemen like I was. And when they didn't show that, and it infuriated me, exactly the hurt look on the women's faces. So I beat up those guys. This would be nothing like, I wasn't taught, I wasn't taught. And that made me stop beating them up. 
while in the middle, I was beating him up, I stopped. And I said, you never? No. So actually, we apologized to each other. And I started showing them how to be a gentleman. And we were cool and tight ever since because they were like, man, I've always wanted to learn how. I don't know how. So I taught them. So that's what happened to me. That's all the stories I got for you in that world. It's all been reported. That was the last thing I needed to share. That was the very last thing I know in my heart. I needed to share that. Um, Now, I'm going to talk about the last stories I have about the sexual recklessness of my of my past. So it was good to see the women respond well to those guys. And I remember teaching women how to um, to be ladies, but not in a misogynistic way, but just to... Um, Enjoy their queendom. Like I was teaching men how to enjoy their kingdoms. And they responded well to each other. Everybody was happy. Including me. Now let's get to the sexual recklessness of my past. Now. I want to make it clear that. Um, around that time. Most of the women. I did not meet their families. <gasps> But there were some that um, I got to meet. It was it was like all the ones I was with. I met at least two to three families, I think, and most of their relatives I wasn't sleeping with. But there was, I think, one family in particular where. Um, all the women in their family found me attractive because they weren't used to a good man. They said, if I have to share a good man, then so be it. And they felt that way even towards um, the woman I was having an affair with. The other, I mean, did the family, they wish I was older but they felt like, well, you know, he's a good man, so I'm not going to hold that against him. I was, a, you know, this was college years for me. And I remember at that time, you know, the, the, one, you know, the aunts would take me to their individual homes and I would have sensual sex with them in their homes. And the same thing will happen to the grandmothers, um, the nieces, the women cousins, um, and the mothers too. This happened about this what that happened in one family, then it happened in about at least two families. The third family, I met them, but nothing happened between us. It just happened in two families. And um, 
I was just going to homes and have sex. And sometimes we used birth control, sometimes we didn't, but they all took pregnancy tests and it was always negative. These were accurate pregnancy tests and we, you know, we got tested and no diseases, no unwanted children, no unwanted pregnancies, nothing. And we, I was having sensual sex with all these women. Um, I'm not bragging about these things. I would never repeat that that part of my life again. Um, and outside of, you know, they'll just drive me to their homes from my dorm or from my college at the time. And there was sex and then they would take me out to eat or go for a walk or hang out with the people in their lives. And some of the people in their lives were women. And so the women in their lives, you know, friendships, um, even colleagues found me attractive and I would go to their home and they would drive me to their homes and I would have sensual sex with them too. And, um, you know, just, I was spared from all the consequences that reckless sex can bring. Um, I'm not being hard on myself. I'm a lot better on that now. But they were spared all the consequences too of the reckless sex they'll have with me as well. Um, To some extent, I found it to sexually hard to accept that it that some people are sexually cunning, sexually devious, and sexually ruthless or in sexual denial. If, you know, if I was being taken sexually advantage of. Um, I didn't fully understand that because I was... robbed of that information then it's a then you know even now I acknowledge the fact of being sexually manipulated because it did occur too often so there was some sexual naivety or sexual immaturity back then um And I think that's true for a lot of the sex partners I was sleeping with. They were sexually, they were sexual naivete and sexual maturity on their part too. And in our part, I think there was sexual over conscientiousness. We were much harder on ourselves sexually than on others. And because we, we were taught to be often too sexually willing to give another the sexual benefit of the doubt and see the sexual side of things while sexually blaming ourselves for what we assumed we were doing, which was sexually hurting the manipulators. This is how we were made to feel 
because of the tr- our own traumas we were going through, we, you know, before we met each other, way before we met each other. So this is how we were made to think. And then there was sexual low self-esteem. We were struggling with sexual self-doubting, lacking in sexual confidence, sexual assertiveness to some extent. And we were chronically sexually unsure of our sexual right to pursue our legitimate sexual wants, legitimate sexual needs. Um, We were likely to go on the defensive, sexually speaking, too easily when challenged by aggressive sexual personality. Um, This is what happened to us before we met each other. Um, Then there was, um, at times, there was sectional emotional dependency, where we would have a sexually submissive or sexually dependent personality. The more sexually emotionally dependent a person is, the more sexually vulnerable they are to being sexually exploited and sexually manipulated. So these are things that happened to us before we met each other. Um... We were taught sexual over-intellectualization. People who believe that others only do sexually hurtful things with there's some sexually legitimate, understandable reason for sexual manipulation. We might sexually delude ourselves into believing that uncover understanding all the reasons for the sexual manipulator's behavior, sexual manipulator's behavior will be sufficient to make things different. So we were taught that back before we met each other. Um, these are things that, based on our conversations, me and them, these were things I can now say that we were taught. Um, and these are things that people don't really, really um, consider. And I'm glad, you know, like in my childhood, there was sexual antisocial personality disorder, sexual borderline personality disorder, sexual conduct disorder, sexual factitious disorder, sexual histrionic personality disorder, and sexual narcissistic personality disorder. So these are things that we were taught. And I can honestly say... And I'm glad I overcame those things. And, um... I can honestly say, though, that we were ne- we were never purposely manipulating each other. We were never intentionally ruthless to each other. We were never intentionally cunning to each other. We were never intentionally devious to each other. We were never intentionally in denial to each other. We were never intentionally sexual manipulators. We were never aggressive personalities to each other in all the bad ways. And we were never intentionally exploiting each other. 
Because sometimes things happen intentionally, things happen in, unintentionally. And it was never a purposeful backstabbing um, at all. I'm just acknowledging that we had similar traumas before we met each other. And I can look back and say, okay, some of these issues made the sensual sex not fully enjoyable, not because of each other, but because what happened before we met each other. So I can, you know, talk about these stuff because a lot of people go through these type of things. And um, the sexual personality disorders is what we were exposed to before we met each other. And that's why at times, you know, people did find out what we were doing. So the sexual confidentiality, privacy, we didn't know how to go about it because I was the type that would never brag or talk about it. But, you know, guys would find out, other women would find out because of my partners. And so that was the only way I would talk about it. At first, I would tell my sex partners not to, but, you know, they didn't know how to be quiet about a good man in in any kind of way, so... It's like in their mind, they worked really hard not to say anything, but because they weren't used to a good man, it just came, it flew right out and they were trying to stop themselves with their excitement of, man, I'm not used to a good man, it just came out. So that's what these things can help people out. And so um, that's pretty much what happened um how did the sex of that time end well graduating be you know beacon college me graduating and then also i just i came to that conclusion everything that was sexually happening was wrong so we peacefully broke things off um you know how it happened well at that time we we wanted to get help that's why we stopped all the sexual things stopped between me and and just all the women we were like even with the men and the non-binary adults too that talked about previous episodes we were just all wanting to get help that's why we left each other alone so we peacefully said our goodbyes because we're like I need help I need help this is too much this is too painful too painful and so that's what happened. There were times where there were, you know, older women driving around, basically looking for me, because they heard about me. They used to drive around looking for young men, but they stopped looking for other young men and started just driving around looking for me, and that's how we ended up having sex at their places of residence. We never had sex. We never had sex in my dorm. It was too risky. Plus, speaking students like a lot of other college students, they can't keep a secret. So that's why, um, you know, that happened. Um, So I'm so thankful that that's the last set of stories I have about that part of my life. 
um, all that need to be told is told about the organized crime and the se- the reckless sex part of my life is all done. Um, there's nothing more to share because literally everything that ever happened to me in those time periods have been shared. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for hearing me.